We all have questions. Questions about faith, relationships, beliefs, politics, social issues, our planet, and God. Where do you go when you're done with cliches and starving for the conversation to ascend? What do you do when you're struggling to find connection within your community, within your church? Join us, Lauren, Danielle, and Jason, to connect, discuss relevant topics, and try to navigate living in the tension of everyday life as Jesus followers. This is The Outsiders Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Outsiders Podcast. Let's go! I'm Lauren, and I'm joined by my wonderfully awesome co-hosts, uh, Jason and Danielle. Hi, guys. How are you Hi. guys doing? What's going on? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you, Lauren? You know, I'm a little nervous about uh-huh. our episode. I'm going to be really honest. But that's good. I feel like nervousness is, is good. That means you care, right? If you didn't care, you wouldn't be nervous. Yeah, that's true. If you could... Uh, hear my heart beating right now. It'd be very, very loud. <laughs> Will you just hold the microphone up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like to my my neck. You can just yeah, yeah. feel it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are um, doing a an episode that I think is really important for us to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of dominating a lot of headlines that uh, that's been happening the last six months of this incredibly interesting year that Mm -hmm. is 2020. Um, So today's episode is part one of a part two um, that we're talking about Black Lives Matter. And I love, I'm just going to interject right quick. And I love the way you said that because I think that's true. Um, A topic that is dominating the headlines. In other words, it's not like it just showed up all of a sudden. Mm. Now it just happens to be captured. Yes. So I just think you said that correctly. And with all of the time that everyone has on their hands right now. Right, right, yeah. I think that's putting even more emphasis on it and giving people even more time to dive in, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yes, so we kind of want to take advantage of that too with all the time that people have on their hands to dive into this topic and maybe learn new things for the first time, Mm -hmm. challenge people to do their own research and kind of come to their own conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, so today I want to give you a little preview. We're going to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, why it's important to acknowledge Black Lives Matter instead of All Lives Matter, and diving into the controversy as to whether we as Christ followers should support the Black Lives Matter organization. So without further ado, let's jump into our conversation today. All right, let's go. So when did you guys first remember seeing or hearing anything about Black Lives Matter? Yeah. um, So I'm not 100% sure, but I definitely remember I was in Southern California. I was pastor at a school at the time. And um, I want to say it was about 2013, pretty sure, but I'm not not 100%. But um, basically, I remember first hearing about it um, after the acquittal of George Zimmerman, um, who basically shot and killed Trayvon Martin. And and I definitely remember, I, th- I think the first time I remember the connection of Black Lives Matter and what it's all about was specifically in the connection with uh, the murder of Trayvon Martin. Um, and, and essentially, and I think it happened in Florida. Mm-hmm. I probably should have done my research. Um, it did. <laughs> okay, sweet. Um, and basically the way I understand it is it was, Trayvon was shot purely based out of racial profiling. And I think that was the first time. Yeah. So I'd say, yeah, like seven years ago-ish. 
Wow, 2013 was seven years ago. I know, it's so sad. Crazy. You're getting old. Don't so are that. you. <laughs> <laughs> so are you. I'm like <laughs> 10 years older, I'm pretty sure. No more. Oh, I just realized that. Yeah, I'm definitely pretty old. Anyway. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. But very relevant. Yeah, right. So okay. Thank exactly. you for being yeah. part of this podcast, Jason. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're being multi-generational here. Okay. Anyway, us. sorry. Yeah. Back to your question. I think, I mean, I'm sure I had heard about it, you know, probably around the same time as Jason too. Like at least heard the, the term and the hashtags and stuff flying around. But I don't think that it became something that was more on my radar until I moved to uh, the U.S. Um, for anyone who didn't listen to our first podcast, I'm from Canada. and Which, by the way, you should go back and listen to the first podcast. Just saying. 100%. You should. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think that there's a rumor that racism doesn't exist in Canada. It does. Sorry to disappoint those who believe it doesn't. Um, but I think that the way it's perceived and experienced is just a little bit different. Obviously, I'll never have the experience of being a black person in either country. Um, but I, I can say that moving to the U.S. and being here, it became something that was much more in my face mm. than it was when I lived there. So I think that's when probably like 2015, about five years ago when I moved here is probably when I first uh, started seeing it more prevalently. So I've heard that actually before. Do you think, because you said it, it was more like in your face. Do you, mm -hmm. In other words, do you think it's like more underground? Well, I think it depends too. Like I lived in Toronto, big city, pretty oh. diverse. Yeah, yeah. And then I came to Ohio. So I think that's <laughs> actually the exact opposite. <laughs> Did you hear the disdain in my voice yeah. when I said Ohio? Ohio's but I think I think cool. that in itself makes a huge difference. Like yeah. even if I were in the US living in like New York and then moving to yeah, Ohio. For sure. for sure. So I don't know that it has anything to do with the countries or if it's just my change of, you know, yeah. where kind of I lived. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it was also with Trayvon Martin. Around that time, my parents were living in Florida. And so it was just something mm. that was a part of conversations when I would call. And mm -hmm. um, to give some people some background, I'm biracial. My mom is white. My dad is black. And so there's been a lot of conversations around race that we've just had my entire life. And a lot of the places that we lived, there was... Um, just a way of a way that we lived that mm. my parents wanted to be very protective of what my brother and I experienced in being able to experience everything, but mm. also openly talking about the racism and discrimination and, and that sort of thing that we had experienced as an interracial family. Mm. Um, and so it, especially where they lived, there was a lot of racial tension there. So it was just kind of at the forefront of my mind. Um, but for me, I think it really hit home around 2016. I love football. And mm -hmm. so every fall, like every Bears, Sunday, not the Bears. No, I'm a Patriots fan. <laughs> Sorry. Swish, this is going to be awkward. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to end Hockey. the podcast <laughs> yeah. right there. Okay. Um, and so seeing Colin Kaepernick Neal and kind of the the message of why that became a very hot topic amongst my friends and, mm -hmm. and just talking a lot more about what Black Lives Matter means and mm -hmm. what yeah. he was um, standing for while kneeling. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of what, what, how it was come to like the forefront of my mind and kind of yeah. um, understanding the movement, the mm -hmm. organization, the phrase. Which a lot of athletes and even entire 
um, you know, associations, right? The NBA and, and the MLB, like, uh, are focusing on it now. But if I'm not mistaken, Colin was really the first right. professional athlete. Right. Yes, to come out and say something. And I think as, as time went on, you started seeing other um, athletes that were kneeling in solidarity with him. I think of Megan Rapino. Mm -hmm. She's a soccer player, female mm -hmm. soccer player. Yep, um, you had a lot of, like, around the time that Eric Gardner was killed, um, NBA players wearing I Can't Breathe shirts. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that the sports world kind of, those who did embrace Colin for what he was standing for and using their platform mm -hmm. to speak, um, which I think has been a really interesting way that this conversation has continued to go, to go about as time has gone on mm -hmm. in the U.S. because you have, um, you know, athletes and celebrities and whatnot using their platforms to talk about Black Lives Matter. And you see that there is still a lot of like misunderstanding about what the movement is, mm -hmm. what the organization stands for. Mm -hmm. um, and now, because we're all sitting at home and don't really have much to do, um, whenever there is another trending hashtag, you know, because another person was unnecessarily killed, not that anyone is like necessary needs to be killed, mm -hmm. but um, then it just kind of brings it to the forefront mm -hmm. of, of our minds. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the black experience in America. And before I get into this, I really want to kind of put a disclaimer out there that um, as we talk about this, like the, like Jason um, and, and Danielle and, and I have kind of talked about, like it's a little bit uncomfortable and this is a very like open and raw conversation. And um, we're going to do the best that we can to navigate the conversation. Um, we're not going to have all the answers. We're not going to answer all of the questions that you as our listeners may have going through your mind as, as we're talking about this. But above all, we want to start the conversation and hope that it inspires you to, to do your own research. And if you have to start conversations with people in your life, mm -hmm. if you haven't already, that this kind of helps give you some background information and the inspiration um, to do this. Um, it's a difficult conversation. It's looking at ourselves as a country in the mirror mm -hmm. and kind of pointing out a lot of the places that we've definitely gone wrong. Um, but I think it's also important to acknowledge what a, a large people in our country, what they have experienced, not just, you know, in my lifetime, mm -hmm. um, but also kind of dating back. So um, let's get into our little, our little history lesson. Um, so basically the international slave trade began around the 15th century mm -hmm. and the first enslaved people were brought, well, it wasn't even to America officially yet because we hadn't gone through, you know, the Revolutionary War and all that sort of stuff, but it started in 1619. And I really want to encourage you guys either listen to the podcast, read the New York Times articles, um, or invest in time in, in the 1619 Project. Um, this has been something that has been so um, pivotal in my understanding of our, his, like our American history and realizing that a lot of um, black history has kind of been erased or revised from what we've learned in 
uh, in or the classroom. Or just not communicated, or right? Not, yeah. It, it almost just kind of glossed over or sprinkled a little bit of truth. But yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the 1619 Project is definitely worth researching. So a lot of, you know, what we're going to be talking about is is has been taken from that. Um but basically with enslaved people that they became the working hands of American agriculture. Um, Sugarcane was a huge agricultural um, entity of America. Tobacco was as well. And it, and cotton turned into one of the largest um, pieces of, of America, like their economy. Um, so if you fast forward a little bit to 1776, our Declaration of Independence was um, written and, you know, it says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It was written by Thomas Jefferson, um, but he was a slave owner and he was writing it pretty much with only white people in mind because people who were black people who were enslaved weren't seen as. As whole. As whole. Right. Yeah. Um, Which I, I want to just just remind, uh, we're going to come back to this idea, yeah. but you're right. At the, at the very beginning, the black people were not seen as one whole complete person. Yes. So I just want to put that on there and then we'll, we'll circle back later, I think. Yes. No, we definitely <laughs> will. Um, and so to, to think about, you know, putting your, walking a mile in someone else's shoes and understanding like you've been brought over to a new place to like do this work that you don't want to do and you're also not seen as as a whole person um and so as um you know our history goes on understanding that enslaved people actually fought during the revolutionary war mm -hmm. um slave owners had promised that if they fought alongside them that they would earn their freedom and there were some that did but most of them um, didn't. And around that time, um, international slave trade was outlawed, but within the U.S., it just kind of ramped up. Um, and then you, you move into um, the Civil War, which was all about slavery between the North and the South. Um, and then in January of 1863, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation was issued by President Abraham Lincoln. And this was kind of like a, a card that Lincoln put down to kind of fast track the end of the Civil War. Um, he had signed it, I think it was back in 1862, um, but basically said that like, if the South didn't get their stuff together, that this was going to go into play. Um, and, and the war kind of ended around that time. Um, so the Emancipation Proclamation was to free all of the slaves, um, but in actuality, not all the slaves were immediately freed. And it wasn't until about 1865-ish, I think Texas was the last state mm. to free their slaves. Mm. So after that time, um, black people kind of found, um, you know, their, their freedom and decided to do all the things that they could finally do, um, like run for office and, and own their own businesses. Yeah, own property. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but still during this time, they weren't treated the same as, as white people because, you know, it's, it's not like 
hundreds of years had passed. Right. It didn't just go away. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. It didn't just go away with, with the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. It, mm-hmm. And it takes time. I mean, there's lots of research out there about change management and all that stuff, like communication and, mm-hmm. and communication now is not what it was back then. Um, so there was still a lot of division, but this was during the reconstruction period of the United States. Um, and the, it was, I think it was the late 1800s, early 19, 1900s, um, the film birth of a nation came out, which I don't know if you guys have ever seen like clips of it, but it is out of control. Yeah. Super racist. Yeah. Um, and it, and it really was kind of a form of propaganda in a way to continue the mentality that black people were criminals and that there was like no good that was that was in them. Um, and so because of that uh, and um, because of, you know, just the way that America was, Jim Crow laws were enacted and there was and because of that, then segregation was implemented for everything schools churches restaurants drinking fountains like the the things that you've seen black and white photos for or of um and the supreme court passed a law about separate but equal so that there was still an acknowledgement that black people were free um and were equal but that things still had to be separated um and that made it okay for the laws regarding segregation Um, and during this time there was, you know, a lot of violence against, um, black people, men, women, and children were lynched. They were beaten. They were, you know, rocks were thrown through their house, Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, I think really sobering to hear stories, Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that existed and it wasn't honestly that (laughs) long ago. Um, so during this time in, you know, the early 1900s, black people are still fighting for their advancement in, in America. Um, World War II came around and there's a a large group of black men that enlisted and fought. Mm -hmm. Um, yet when they were, when they came back from fighting, they were attacked, they were beaten. Um, they, the, they weren't welcome home welcomed home like their fellow soldiers that mm-hmm. that were white and that's just crazy to me because like especially here you see how patriotic people are and how much they respect armed forces and just like the idea that they wouldn't respect a certain you know percentage of that group just because of that is i mean it's not unbelievable because i mean it happens all the time but it's just it shows how deep-rooted mm-hmm. it, it was mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so then as we get into like the 1940s, a guy named Jackie Robinson totally changed the the game of baseball. Um, he was the first African-American to play in, in a major league. And um, so then also around that time, um, the Brown versus Board of Education um, trial or... Uh, Supreme Court, I can't think of the name right now, but um, essentially they're fighting to end segregation in public schools um, and not every state complied. So that it was kind of a long, long process, which if anyone knows, you know, our government, nothing happens quickly 
in that anyways. Um, in the 1950s, um, you hear, I think it was 1955, you hear the story of 14-year-old Emmett Timmett, Emmett Till, sorry, who was killed, um, and his mother insisted on having an open casket to bring public attention to his death. And that actually the, uh, I think it was the acquittal of um, the two men who were eventually um, brought to trial for his murder, that started the Montgomery citywide bus boycott which brings in Rosa Parks mm, yeah. and Martin Luther King Jr. into our history. And as time goes on, there's still in the 60s, lots of violence toward black people. This is around the time that it's kind of the heart of the civil rights movement. Um, and this violence, especially in the South and especially by the KKK, um, is probably dominating headlines like what we're seeing today, um, including the Birmingham church bombing that killed four black girls. Um, that actually happened um, like in mid-September. So it was mm. around this time um, back in the, in the 60s mm -hmm. that that took place. Um, and so during this time, um, you have the March on Washington where Martin Luther King Jr. in his um, very famous I Have a, a Dream speech, um, you have the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act that's passed during this time. Um, there's a lot of other things that kind of took place um, in the 60s. And it's so interesting as this has kind of, you know, come up of asking like my grandma or my dad, like what was life like living during this time? Because it, it wasn't that long ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you, you see these things that are like so pivotal in, in our history, like who Martin Luther King Jr. was, you know, in, in the, in the realm of the civil rights movement and, and what he stood for. You have Malcolm X, you have, you know, the Black Panthers, mm -hmm. you, you have all of these, these black leaders that are rising up. You have John Lewis's mm -hmm. um, that are inspired to do something because of what their experience is. Um, and, and you have just, um, I think during this time also the fair, housing act was passed and that was supposed to help black people, you know, have affordable housing, but that didn't actually happen. And so you still have, um, these kind of places where black people are living versus where white people are living. Um, in, yeah, I think you're talking about redlining, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, right. They would take these sections of the city and essentially kind of discriminate, essentially, um, and, and kind of fence off certain areas um, for banks and, and, and investments and that sort of thing. Um, and specifically, it was they would have sections for um, black people and people of color. Yeah. Yes. And so 
just to like fully understand the disadvantages that that black people like up until this point have experienced right like Mm -hmm. of course slavery doesn't exist anymore but there's still discrimination there's still segregation that's happening and this is during our parents lifetimes right Uh, yeah and i mean i'm not even that old while we joke um and my mama certainly is not that old but my mom who grew up in the north right um remembers very clearly growing up in a time when she would go and and there would be public um, drinking fountains and there was a a whites only drinking fountain and a colored drinking fountain. So yeah, it's two generations ago. Mm -hmm. So then we move into the 1970s and and the 80s and I have to give a shout out to Shirley Chisholm. She's the first black woman Mm -hmm. who ran for president. Um, And, you know, during this time, there's again, still this discrimination, there's um, the war on drugs begins. um, And that was a huge thing that instead of talking about um, like mental health and the health crisis Mm -hmm. as what it was, it it was very much reframed as as drug problems and that it was, um, you know, kind of about more black people than white people who are struggling with this. And that's where you see large amounts of black men that are put in prison mm-hmm. because of, you know, their infractions um, with with drugs, whether it's crack cocaine or, or, or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. The documentary 13th, that's on Netflix, it's also on YouTube, talks a lot about, about that. And you kind of see how... Um, the presidents at the time like had, I think, good intentions, but there was still this overarching, you couldn't, you couldn't say the N word. You couldn't call black people the N word. You couldn't, um, you know, enslave them or whatever, or whatever, but there were still very racist policies. There were still very racist behaviors that we as a nation kind of embraced. And it just became a part of, you know, like the DNA of, of America. Um, and so then you kind of fast forward into the 2000s, the 2010s, where there's just this rise of social media and what I think we were told is of stories that, that happened or like, you know, your cousin or, or this other, you know, kid that you went to school with or whatever. Now you're seeing this violence and this discrimination and all that just unfold on social media. Mm-hmm. You see the way that black women are treated in the media and that, you know, there's just such a, a tension between being a black person living in America and being a white person and kind of thinking during my childhood of like, we're good racism doesn't really exist Mm. anymore. Like, like that's not the conversation anymore. Um, for those, but for those that are living, you know, in predominantly urban areas where they are experiencing heavy policing, where, you know, stop and frisk is a a very real thing Mm -hmm. where redlining is still a thing where, um, they're not black people are not given the opportunity, the, the, the opportunities that, others might have. Um, I think just 
turns into then, right, this, this like cry of black people really just want to be seen as human and want to have the same opportunities that everyone else does in America. As we kind of see there, there's, there's just this tension. And I'm sure that for you guys listening that you have seen this, you've probably been a part of it as well. But there's this tension between this phrase black lives matter and this phrase all lives matter so i want to talk a little bit about why it's important to acknowledge black lives matter and why the like saying all lives matter can kind of be not kind of it is damaging yeah well first of all i just want to say thank you lauren for that brief history lesson i feel like in Mm -hmm. that what like 15 minutes or 10 minutes whatever that was that's probably a lot more than people have been exposed to, or at least like a really concise summary of a lot of stuff that's gone on. And I think that that would be beneficial for a lot of people. So Mm -hmm. thank you for doing that research and um, putting Mm -hmm. that all together. But to answer your question, I think whenever I see people having this argument or I feel the argument coming or I feel you know, that tension. Yeah, the tension. (laughs) My follow-up question, I always just want to ask, why are you offended? Like, what is it about this statement, Black Lives Matter, that offends you? Why are you not okay with somebody saying that? Why do you feel like they have to say, you know, all lives matter instead of Black Lives Matter? And I feel like there's one of two reasons. Either, one, you don't believe that it's true, like you truly don't believe Black Lives Matter, or you're offended because maybe in saying Black Lives Matter, if you're not a black person, then that doesn't include you. Mm. And I think that as humans, we just have this nature to want things to be about us mm-hmm. and to figure out a way to make them about us. And I and I just feel like maybe that that has something to do with it. Like, And that in itself makes you ask the question, why? Why? Why does this issue that is plaguing and hurting a whole population, a whole group of people, why is it something that you are feeling the need to turn around and make about yourself when it has nothing to do with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of the understatement of the century when we say, well, this may be a controversial topic. <laughs> um, really, if you, if you question that, then you just kind of live in a cave. And yeah, I, I agree. I think at least the people that I talk to, I feel like, When people hear that phrase or those three words, Black Lives Matter, um, we can kind of break it down into like four different types of people, right? Like I feel like there are four different types of people when they hear that phrase, Black Lives Matter, um, the the responses. I think there are four different ones. Like one is kind of like what you're saying, like just total indifference. They're like, eh, yeah, I guess, right? Or, or, you know, and then these kind of brush it aside or like, oh, that's just the, the hot topic of the of the summer, but right. we're or, just going to move on. Or people who just don't care because they have the luxury of not having to care. Right. Exactly. Because they, they do have that luxury, that um, privilege to mm-hmm. be able to to, to, to not right. think about it, right? At the, or just live it, I guess. Um, I, I think another one is when people, like, I think honestly, some people are just tired about hearing about it. Um, and they're like, well, kind of like to what you were saying, well, why are black people getting all ex- upset and why are they getting special treatment? And you know, why all this, this focus and attention and to your point, well, don't all lives matter, which Okay. Um, and it's kind of interesting that what you were saying, well, is, wouldn't it be true that all lives 
wouldn't matter if black lives don't matter, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I wish you could see Daniel's face to that reaction. I mean, <laughs> okay. And then, I mean, you can, uh, okay. And then like, but then I think there are third type of people is like, no, you're right. This is wrong. This is injustice. And this is prejudice and any right prejudice to prejudge. No one wants to be prejudged, um, no matter their sexuality, their race, their, their tribe, uh, their religion, um, you know, whatever their job, um, where they go to school, what, what have you. So just the whole notion of being prejudged and like, no, we're going to stand for this. And, and we, we want to protest against that. And then I think there's an, another group where they, they really feel like like they are not heard like at all. So therefore they're honestly like willing to do anything to be heard, including like to riot or loot or burn down buildings or statues or whatever, because it's like no one is listening and they're just, they're, they're crying out for, for right. attention. Like, please recognize this. There's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And it was around the time of the Watts riot, which happened in 1965. Um, and he said, I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Yes. And yeah, so yeah. it's, I think we, we see this where the, the question is what is, which is a funny question of like, well, what is an appropriate way to protest? Right. Um, and so you, you see people who are out in the streets who are peacefully doing that and then there's some sort of escalation and then it turns into a riot. And lately I've been seeing a lot of people using protesting and rioting interchangeably mm -hmm. as they are synonyms and they are mm -hmm. so far from, mm -hmm. you know, the truth of, of being the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, um, when I think about this, like your initial question of the whole Black Lives Matter statement versus All Lives Matter statement, I think of my personal experience. Um, I'm married to a black man. And I think that as humans, we have a nature to not care about stuff very much unless it affects us. Mm -hmm. And that I'm in no way trying to make excuses for people, but just kind of spelling out the fact that we don't care about stuff a lot of the time that we don't have to care about, stuff that doesn't affect us. And I've, you know, never considered myself a, you know, outright racist or prejudiced person, but I know that we all have things that we've done unintentionally or because we have lacked education or experience. Um, but it's never something, you know, in my heart, I would like to believe that I've never hated a group of people just because of their appearance or whatnot. But I can say that after marrying Patrick, my eyes were opened so much wider to the issues of racism against black people and black men specifically because it suddenly was so important to me. Mm. And it's so weird to wrestle with that reality because like in some ways I feel shameful that I didn't care about it more before it, re it was relevant to me. Mm. But at the same time, I think that that's kind of how humans are hardwired. And so there's this tension of how do you fit into this conversation or not fit into the conversation, but how do you find connection to the conversation when you don't necessarily have that personal meaning that's drawing you towards it you know like because not everyone is going to be black or have a black sibling or a black parent or a black best friend or a black husband or wife and so how do you make it matter to you the way it mattered to me so much more when I had a person it wasn't a movement about a group of people it was a movement about the person that I love the right. most in my it's life. It's not just a topic. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's, it's my other half at this point, you know? Right. right. And 
I think that that's such a hard thing to wrestle with and to try to explain to other people. Like you should care, not because it's connected to a person, but because this matters. Right. And from my experience, I see how connecting it to a person changed that for me. Right. Yeah, no, I, that makes sense. And I think also by saying Black Lives Matter, you're not, I think a lot of times we think it's it's this or this, right? It's Black Lives Matter or all of it. No, no, no. Like, just think about that. That makes zero sense. Um, and, and just one quick, relatively stupid, but I think it, because it's stupid, it makes the point <laughs> even clearer, right? That like, you know, if, if I go home and uh, I'm just hanging out with my kids, we're playing basketball because that's their thing right now. And um, right, like the neighbor's house is on fire. And then it's like, oh, well, the neighbor's house is on fire. Well, that sucks, right? So we call 911 and all the fire trucks come rolling up. Um, and let's just, you know, so the, they're on their way to take out the fire of my neighbor. But when they show up, I'm like, hey, my house matters too. So do something for my house, right? And which is just so ludicrous. Like, like that's like saying, okay, I'm going to divert them. Don't go to my neighbor whose house is on fire. Come to my house because aren't, don't all homes matter? It's like, yeah, but my house isn't on fire right now. Like that house, my neighbor's house is on fire right now. So go there. Right. And so I, anyway, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Very clearly <laughs> to us. <laughs> And yet. So, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. You know, just when you hear this idea of Black Lives Matter, it's not that all lives don't. It's just that mm -hmm. all lives won't until Black right. Lives Matter. Correct. Yeah. So um, as we continue this conversation, I think something important that, that I have seen um, as all lives matter versus Black Lives Matter conversation um, comes up is the terminology white privilege. Um, and I don't know how, how you guys um, feel about this. I'm actually really, really curious about, you know, like what your experience has been in having certain conversations um, about this. But there was this really, um, it was, I think it was a couple years ago, a video that went viral and it was, you know, like a PE class or something. And this teacher was um, trying to explain privilege yeah, yeah. to yes, yeah, yeah. to his students. And I thought it was so good because it, it wasn't just a lecture, right? It yeah. was like people seeing how they can move forward through life based on the privilege that right they have like it could have zero to do with your personal decisions or anything that you've done in your life but just like circumstances yeah and i would actually say most by yeah. far most of the yeah it like we we had nothing to do with it yeah right and you're just born and i we're born. sorry i keep interrupting no, you no, almost because you're making pauses and i think i should talk but you're not <laughs> no go ahead no i was just gonna say i think that um something that comes up a lot and that needs to be clarified. Um, when we say privilege in relation to whiteness and this conversation, I think a lot of people get really defensive because they're like, well, I didn't come from wealth or I didn't come from a stable or comfortable upbringing or I have been prejudiced against or hated against as well for X, Y, and Z reason. And I think it's important to say, you know, if we were talking about poverty, then you're, you know, growing up from you know in a poor household like that would be incredibly relevant and you know you're right you didn't come from privilege in that respect in respect to money but that's not what this conversation is mm -hmm. you know we're not saying that you had life easy and we're not saying that you know everything was just handed to you we're just saying when it comes to the sheer color of your skin nothing else if 
two people were completely the same and that was the only thing that was different. You have a leg up because you're white and the other person is, is black or not white. Yeah, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, yes, slavery happened quite a while ago, um, but the way that our nation was founded was on this kind of us versus them mentality. And that doesn't, we've talked about this even earlier in this podcast, like that doesn't just go away. The way that your grandparents experienced life is passed down then to your parents and the way that they experience life and then is passed down through you and how you experience life. Um, and so I know even as a biracial woman that I have certain privilege in like in comparison to my friends who are African-American basically because my skin is lighter than theirs mm -hmm. that I have, I can kind of be racially ambiguous, whereas they don't, there's no, you know, there, there's no way for them to get through life without being black. There's, there's mm -hmm. just right. isn't. Mm -hmm. And on a similar note, like I, for our listeners, I'm half Japanese and I've always identified very, very strongly with my Japanese side of the family and my culture. And some say I look at some say I don't, but I've had to acknowledge that I get to move through the world as a white person. I am a white passing woman and it doesn't matter what, you know, what else is there. I get to move through the world in a way that allows me to be privileged. And that's something that I have to own and, and decide what am I going to do with that? Like, what am I going to use my privilege for? Yeah, I think that introduces the conversation of what does it mean to be an ally? Um, and so for those of us who do have the privilege of, of walking through life in a very different way, um, it's part of our responsibility, I think, as being human to call things for what they are and to bring things to the light. I think, um, you know, for a long time and even still today that there are a lot of disadvantages that black people have and they've been speaking, we've been speaking about it for years and years and years. I think that's part of the importance of acknowledging the importance of saying black lives matter it's not just for black people to say, but it's for everyone to, to acknowledge. Sure. And I think honestly, just, and this might sound very controversial, but just hear my heart, just the phrase black lives matter. And like, why are we even uttering that thought? Right. Like, what do you mean be, the fact that we have to Right. That's, right. What, that's my about like, and, and matter, like, isn't that like the lowest of, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, right? Like, like, oh, well, that matters. Right. Like, no, 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 it's not matters, yeah. right? It, it's to to your point, like, no, celebrated or we or champion Necessary. or love or you know whatever, right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, I just I just think it's kind of ridiculous, and so for me, it's like no, the whole issue is that every black person, every person, but specifically for this, every black person has the same right to life as another people group period, right? It, it, it's, it, I think sometimes it's what you guys are saying, I think we think, well, if we elevate this, that means we have to push down that. No, that's not it. We're just elevating. We're, we're just trying to elevate, right? Um, so yes, every black person has the same right um, to life as another people group. Um, and I think it just comes out of really this space of sincere pain and uh, of the psyche and, and the soul. And like, there's just brokenness, right? There's, there's tension in the brokenness. 
And as humans, I mean, that's right. Like how we, not necessarily how we, how we were created, but just the, it just is what it is like that. That's just who yeah. we are as a people. But I think about as Christ followers, right? We're called to, to right. love one another and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's difficult for me to see Christians on Facebook mm. kind of arguing about this thing when it's like, to me, it, it seems like it's a, a no duh kind of mm-hmm. phrase. Well, because I think sometimes people are like, well, if you support that, that means you have to support this, 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 and this. It's like, no, not necessarily, right? I think if you look at any organization or even company, um, clothes that we wear or shoes or whatever, like no matter where you look, even within Christendom, right? And I'm a pastor, right? I, I love Christianity. Um, Hot take here. Right. But like <laughs> there are, um, I don't agree with everything, right? And so just because you support or, or stand for one thing doesn't necessarily mean you're going to you know support everything because not everything is is perfect or complete or whatever I think um, essentially though like it, it kind of what you were saying like we were created to reflect God okay mm-hmm. let's just say that right so when for all you listeners that are you know okay just don't be bored for a second but like in the scriptures right in Genesis when it says that God created man right it specifically says that let us make man in our image right so it's plural so in other words there's a plurality to God mm-hmm. um, there in other words just God in and of himself is community and which and so there's completeness in its whole and so he goes to make man or you know male I, I guess I should say and it's like yeah that's not complete mm. because there is not community so he needs a partner right so that there is relationship and there is community and so it's when we are in community that we best reflect God right because God is community um and, and, and this whole issue of, and then, right, we could talk about, okay, so then it was very good. And then, like, throughout the scriptures, right, it's like the, this meta narrative about how people are broken. And, and that is what sin does. It divides and it breaks um, the community. And, and I think, essentially, we are called, as Christ followers, to your point, to go back into not fix the brokenness, like that's not true, but to, when there is gaps, when there, when it's not complete or when there isn't wholeness to make it whole. Um, right. So there's this Hebrew word, right. It's called shalom, which a lot of times we, we say translates as peace, but you could also translate the word shalom as, as perfection or wholeness or completeness. And so I think essentially no matter where we look, there is brokenness, right? Everyone experiences brokenness to a certain level. But as Christ followers, like I feel called to recognize people as reflecting the image of God. You are made in God's image. You are a son or a daughter of God. Um, God has made trillions and trillions of people, but there's only one like you, right? Mm. Each person is a masterpiece, but you're broken. So we need to help, it sounds cheesy now that I say it, help complete each other. That sounds weird. But right, um, but we need, our, our role is for people to feel complete in, or whole. Does that make sense? You talk about um, the circle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I wish you could see. Lauren gives me this like super <laughs> weird look. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Um, yeah, so um, this is only episode two, right? In episode 30, we'll know what that, okay. So, um, so, That's but, when Jason will be able to read my mind and just know. Yeah, yeah, we'll just right, <laughs> be in sync. But like, oh, in sync. Okay, 
that was awkward. Okay, so um, so like all of our math teachers back in the day, I'm sure there's some geometry teacher right now that's going to just start like seizing. But like all of our math teachers taught us that there's this idea of a, of a complete cir- or a, sorry, a perfect circle. And so you have to get what is it? You guys are intelligent. Is it a like compass a protractor or a protractor yeah. that? Protractor. Okay, there's this protractor, right, that, that you use so that the radius is is exactly the same all the way around, uh, you know, the circumference of the center. And so, therefore, it is a perfect circle. And so, like, in Western society, in Western education, our concept of perfection means without flaw. So, like, you know, was your Starbucks drink perfect? No, right, because they put too much froth or whatever. Um the Wi-Fi is imperfect and, you know, I got drop calls or whatever, um, right? So we think perfection means flawless. But in Hebrew, specifically in the scriptures, when it talks about perfection, it just means complete. So it doesn't, there are flaws within the circle. But if the, but if there's one complete circle, then it is perfect because it's whole. Um, yeah, so I think that's ultimately what we're called to do. And then there w- we will experience shalom, peace. Mm. So good. I kind of, I want to end on that. So I I know that we said that we were going to talk a little bit about um, the Black Lives Matter organization and all that sort of stuff, but I think we're going to have a part two. And so I think we can talk a little bit about that. I want to end on this idea of shalom because it is such a beautiful concept. And I think the point of why black lives matter mm. is to be whole to be in community what with one another to see each other as broken and that i have something to bring to community to help it be whole mm-hmm. and that to exclude a people from community is not actually doing what christ is asking us to do and to love one another and to be in community with mm-hmm. one another So um, as we wrap up this conversation, I did want to ask you guys, because as we were talking about topics and as, um, you know, we've been sitting in a pandemic to and having lots of free time, like that's the worst. (laughs) What are things that you're doing to learn more about the black experience in in America? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think that now more than ever, there are a lot of really great resources out there on, you know, pretty much any platform you could ever ask for. There are books and podcasts and uh, docu-series and documentaries and all sorts of stuff. And so I'm an avid reader. I've been doing a lot of reading and uh, watching a lot of documentaries and just trying to use some of the downtime and some of the very accessible ways to get more information. And while we're talking about this, I do also just want to make the point that I think that it's our responsibility to educate ourselves and not to rely on the people of color in our lives who are actively experiencing this and going through all of these really painful and exhausting experiences. You know, I I think about my husband and there have been times when I've asked him, do you want to watch this documentary with me? And he's like, No. And I know it's not because he doesn't think it's important, but it's because for me, it's education. And for him, it's seeing his experience, his painful experience, you know, being had by other people and him being forced to watch it over again. And I know it's exhausting. And, you know, having Lauren as one of my best friends, I see how tired she is. I see how tired Patrick is and all of the other important people in my life that do represent people of color. And I 
have become very sensitive to wanting to protect their energy and to protect their mental health. And so I think as you go through looking for resources and trying to educate yourself, just keep that in mind so that we can uh, make sure that we're taking care of the people uh, that are important to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, not really sure I have anything else to add. I just think that it just bothers me, not just with race relations, but honestly with any sort of prejudice or injustice, um, whether it's race or, or socioeconomic status or sexuality or whatever, like anytime there's something that can divide humans, I ultimately think is a tool of the devil. I just, mm. I just think it is right. Because like God created man, right. To reflect him. And if we reflect him, then in, in community. So anything that breaks community, um, I think it's just a tool of the devil. And so I think anything that we can do to spend time with, right. Like proximity. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, Oh, well that's their problem or that's them. Um, no, are they a human? So then it's, then we are in this together kind our. of thing. Yeah. It's yeah. our, it's our, right. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a human issue. Well, thank you guys for having this conversation with me today. Um, I know it can be uncomfortable sometimes. And um, for me, I just kind of think that's the point. I've mentioned before, I like to just jump right into hard stuff and not to force people out of their comfort zone, but just to have a different perspective on where someone might be coming from. Um, and in this community that is our podcast, we want to talk about these important things and be pushed a little outside of our comfort zone. Okay. Um, one thing I do want to mention um, as we are kind of talking about resources, um, all three of us think it's really important to add to the conversation. So not just what you guys are listening to, but also um, what you have available so in our show notes, we're going to link a document that has a list of podcast books, um, Netflix documentaries, what have you, that you can start um, your own research on your own time. Um, I highly, highly encourage you um, to take a look at that. Um, there's some really great things that um, other documents that have been shared with me over the last few months. Um, and I think that this is, it's important to talk about, but then there's also an action point as well. Um, so as we live in this tension um, of figuring out what it is to do life with one another um, and something that is uncomfortable and talking about, you know, the American privilege that we have, um, that this is something that is important. And I hope that you guys will all take the opportunity um, to check out those resources that we'll have listed in our show notes. Tune in next week for part two of our Black Lives Matter conversation. Um, we're going to talk to two special guests about their experience um, with Black Lives Matter and just their experience in being black people, which I, I'm not excited in a, in the general term of, of excited, but I'm excited because they're going to be our first guests that we have on the yeah, podcast. Um, and one of them has a special connection to the show. Hey. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Outsiders podcast. 
Special thanks to our audio engineer and producer, Alan Clark. Music throughout this episode is by Common Man Music. You can find his music on all major music platforms. Also, a special thank you to Alan Stone. As listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Rate and review our podcast. It helps the show become more discoverable. If you like what you've been hearing, share with your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers. If you'd like to connect with any of us, all our contact information and social media handles are located in the show notes. We'll see you next week.